Well, good morning, church. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Fellas, if you forgot, this is your reminder. Don't be that guy who waits until 7 o'clock tonight to go to the store and get some Valentine's. Last year, I ran in the store on Valentine's Day because I had to uh, pick up a couple of uh, grocery things. And for real, it was like 8 o'clock at night, and I saw a dude in the card aisle. Valentine's Day, looking for a Valentine's Day card. I thought, bro, it's not going to help. You done missed it. Anyway, it's so good to see you guys today. I'm glad you're here, man. Thanks for all of our online family. So glad that you're tuning in with us online as well. Um, we are excited that you're with us. Um, hey, also, just want to let you know, uh, if you have missed it somehow, we try, we try to make this as loud as possible, um, but small groups are up and running, y'all. Um, small groups are up and running. They are kicking off live this week, so if you've not had a chance to connect to a small group yet, man, I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Go to the website, get connected. It is how we get to know each other as a church. And beyond that, you'll begin to discover that, that there are things that God's word tells us that, that he does for us when we put, place ourselves in biblical community. We begin to find healing and forgiveness and freedom from things in our life. And so make sure that you check that out. Today, we're beginning a brand new series, a journey through scripture that we're calling that label doesn't fit me anymore. Um, and we're going to be diving into this. And, and here's the deal. The, the series that we just finished, the comeback, um, I introduced this verse to us as the church. It's the theme verse for us as a church, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. And this is what it says. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, in our last series, if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go check it out. Uh, it, we, we, we talked about why this verse is so important. We talked about why we can have faith and why we can have hope in the midst of our circumstance, in the midst of this year, and why this verse is so compelling and impactful for our lives. This series, that label doesn't fit me anymore, is all about how our lives are changed when we begin to do this, all right? And so that's what we're going to be diving into in this series, um, the series, uh, I've titled the message today, Label Maker. Is there anybody in the place? And if you're tuning in online, give us a hand emoji. Is there anybody in here that's a little OCD about cleaning, organizing, uh, anything like that? We have a few honest people. Anybody, uh, anybody watch any of those shows? You get sucked into them on Netflix where they go in and they organize people's pantries and closets and stuff like that. And you're just going, Wow. Wouldn't that be nice? Not going to happen, but wouldn't that be nice? Well, if you, if you are OCD about it, then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet that the people that would say, wouldn't that be nice, do not own a label maker. But I'm going to bet the people who are, who are like, no, 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 y'all should come see my house because I can't live if my house isn't organized that, if my pantry's not organized that way. Um, y'all probably own a label maker. Y'all know what a label maker's for. It's very descriptive in its title. It makes labels. That's right. We, have, we own a label maker as a church. I do not own a label maker as a person. I might tell you a little bit of how I'm wired. 
Um, but we own a label maker. Our production team uh, bought a label maker uh, 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 some point in the last year uh, to help kind of label all of this stuff. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but but this doesn't. Uh, none of this stuff that's here that you see that makes this school into a church just magically appears. That we've got an awesome group of people. Matter of fact, I want to give some propers right now to our setup and teardown team. Can you give me a hand? Come on, because they make this happen week in and week out. And I just believe there's extra grace and, and treasures up stored up for them in heaven on days like this. Amen? Amen. If not, we should pray for it. So thankful for Kevin Weibel. He leads our setup and teardown team. Thankful for them. If you aren't connected to a dream team yet, it's a great way to get connected. They have so much fun. Uh, I just want to encourage you to check that out. But anyway... Um, what happens is, is they've got a, a label maker and, and they, they label all the stuff because it makes it possible for us to be able to know what goes where and as we welcome new people onto the team for us to be able to kind of point them in the right direction. Labels, um, being able to label things helps a ton. Um, it helps us to be able to, to organize things, to clean things, to keep things kind of squared away. And, and what I want to do today is I want to I want to talk to you about this idea, label maker, and, and in true preacher form, I have three points, and they all begin with the same letter, all right? If you grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, then you know that every preacher must always do a three-point sermon, and they all must start with the same letter, and so that's where we're going today, so forgive me, but I want to talk to you first about the power of a label. Do you know the labels have power? They do. They, they, labels matter because they have power and they're significant. Labels, labels identify us. Labels place us. Labels organize us. Um, labels, uh, labels have power to um, define us. They have the power to free us. And they have the power to imprison us. Labels can marginalize us. Labels can define years and even decades of our life. Labels can change the trajectory of our lives. I want you to think back for a minute some of the labels maybe that you have been given at some point in your life. Some of them maybe you're proud of, maybe some of them you're not proud of. I want you to think about some of the labels. Maybe somebody labeled you complicated. Maybe somebody labeled you loud, Maybe somebody labeled you ADHD or emotional or angry or fat or skinny. You see, these are all labels that at some point are given to us. Sometimes these labels are things that we, we give ourselves. Some of us have been given labels from the earliest of our days. Matter of fact, I have spent quite a bit of time counseling men who walk around with a father wound because they were labeled something negative by their father. And decades later, they are still living with the weight of that label. We're going to learn about a guy today in scripture who was labeled something at his birth. We're going to see how that label defined him. If you have your Bible today, I hope you do. We use them every time we get together. Genesis chapter 25 is where we're going to be today. And, and if uh, you don't have your Bible, it's all right. We got your back. We'll put the, ver uh, the, the verses on the screen. Um, but we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25. Let me give you a little context. We're going to learn about uh, a family that is growing. Uh, the father of this family, his name is Isaac. Uh, his wife's name is Rebecca. And Rebecca is pregnant with twins. Oh, I used to think, by the way, I used to think we used to actually want twins. And then we had one. We thought, dear Lord, 
please never let us have twins. But I'm still a little, I don't know, I still kind of think it would be cool to have twins. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting way off topic now. But they're getting ready to have twins. Genesis chapter 25, if you're with me, let me hear you say label. Verse 24 says this, so when her days, that's Rebecca, when her days were fulfilled to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Now, this is a very descriptive culture. Um, Esau is born and he's a hairy little dude. And so they named him Esau and you wouldn't know this and neither would I unless we've researched it, but the word Esau uh, rhymes with the Hebrew word that means hairy. Now, I have known some dudes that should have been named Esau. Some of y'all dudes is in the room right now. Maybe if not Esau, then, you know, woolly mammoth, woolly bully, something like that. But that's why they named him Esau. Jacob uh, was named Jacob uh, for a reason, because his name literally means heel grabber. Again, they're a very descriptive people. And his name means heel grabber. Um, and, and what's happening is, is from the moment that these boys are born, uh, it's as if Jacob is saying, uh-uh, you ain't beating me. How many of you have sons and know that there can be some sibling rivalry amongst your sons? I have two boys. It's going to be interesting to see. My son Carson has never been above the 40th percentile in height or weight. And his brother, who's two years younger than him, has never been under 60% height and weight. They are, they are almost wearing the same set of clothes, but they're built very differently. And Carson, I keep telling him, man, get it in now. Get it in now. Because it ain't going to be long, son. And you are going to get pounded into the dirt by your little brother. You better hope you're always faster than him. Jacob is born. He's trying to grab Esau's heel. It's like he's saying, uh-uh, man, you ain't beating me out of here not going to happen. Obviously, that's ridiculous. Babies don't have that kind of wherewithal. But his name means heel grabber. Another, another translation or meaning of his name is trickster or con man. And so for all of his days, as Jacob is growing up, when people say, hey, Jacob, what he literally hears is, what up, con man? How you doing? Now, I grew up with a name like Jernigan. It don't mean nothing. I get the same questions all the time. What does that mean? Where did it come from? How do you spell that? Can you say it again? Spell it again. Say it again. Spell it again. Say it again. Spell it again. Can you write it down for me? That's the story of my life. I don't know what it means. I don't know what its nation of origin is from. I just know my first name is Jernigan. My last name is Schwent. And somehow Thomas got thrown into the middle of it. And it makes no sense. Jacob is living with this name all of his days. Now, you, you, might, you might think that and go, well, that's kind of unfortunate. Poor Jacob, old Jake. Man, that's a tough name to have to grow up with. What's your name? Oh, it means really cool. It means heel grabber. Well, that's kind of lame. It also means con man. How much money you got? What does any of this have to do with the power of label? You, go, you might think, well, that's not really that big of a deal. I mean, he got named something and not very fortunate for him, but he got named something and it is what it is. So how is it 
referencing the fact that there's power in a label. Well, there is power in a label. And maybe, maybe you've just not taken time to consider the labels that you have been given, the labels that you wear, the labels that you carry, and how they have an impact on you. So if you've, not, if you've not been able to recognize the power of the labels that are on your life, then let me take a moment and, and think about the power that we've all experienced, the power of a label in the last year. It was about this time last year that we had heard about the coronavirus, it was at about this time last year, I read an article that said that sales of Corona the beer have drastically decreased because people think that it's connected. We laughed about it. I remember being at the Big 12 tournament. I've never heard anything as loud as when they came over the speaker and said the rest of the tournament is canceled. Boo! I thought there was going to be riots right there. But on March 11th, the power of a label changed things because the WHO labeled the coronavirus a global pandemic. And in that one label change, everything changed. Was there anything different about it? Nope. The only thing that changed was the label. And we are still living with the weight of the impact of that. You see, there's power in a label. There's power in how we carry them. Some labels can empower you. Some labels can propel you to great things. Some labels can marginalize you and hold you back because there's power in a label. But I want you to see the power of a label. I want you to see the purpose of a label. Have you ever stopped to think about why we label things? I mean, why do we do this? Well, at their best, labels can provide convenient ways for us to group and categorize things and stuff. All right, we do that. With, that's the reason why we label things in the pantry for the seven of you who do that. The rest of us are normal people. We know what it is. Somebody just got really offended right there. We categorize things. We categorize stuff. We do the same thing with people. It's not really a bad thing, really, if you think about it. There's more than eight, almost 8 billion people on the planet. So it's not really a bad thing that we use labels to categorize people. It's how we kind of make sense of stuff. It's how we categorize uh, broadly and from a global perspective, people groups. We are Americans. People who uh, you know, live in Europe are Europeans. People who live in Africa are Africans. People who are Australia, Australians, right? And so these labels aren't necessarily bad. They, they allow us to, to group and categorize some stuff. And so I want to have a little bit of fun with you today. And I want you to think about the things that come to your mind when I toss out some of these labels. All right? Chick-fil-A. That's a label. I believe I speak with everybody here that what comes to mind immediately is magical drive-throughs. I don't know how they do it. There's sorcery happening in there somehow. How about this? Taco Bell. I believe I speak with everybody. That label automatically makes us think of horse meat. I don't know if I should explain that or move on. I'm just going to move on. How about this label? Coca-Cola. Best sugar water on the planet. I was at a restaurant for Valentine's Day. I said, I have a water and a Coke. They said, we have Pepsi. I said, that's the drink of the devil. Right now, there's going to be a split in this church. All the holy and righteous people on this side, we're drinking Coke. <laughs> I'm messing with you. How about this label? The Chiefs. 
No matter what happened last week, there are champions. How about this one? Referees, you bet we're in church. We're in church. We're having some fun this morning. Is it okay to have fun in church? I hope it is. Each of these things cause thoughts or ideas to come to your mind, and so we use labels. We use labels to categorize all kinds of things. Labels immediately cause things to come to mind. We, we use labels all the time in a way that we categorize people by race, religion, um, background, and, and those things are inherently wrong because at their best, labels provide an opportunity, convenient ways for us to group and categorize things, but I want you to see what happens because labels at their worst provide convenient excuses to not change. You see, once, you, once something has been labeled, well, now it just is. And this carries a couple different ways. If you label something or if somebody has labeled themselves as something, then, then, then it automatically brings to your mind the way that you're going to treat them, the way that you're going to speak to them, the way that you're going to behave around them, the way that you're going to talk about them when they're in the room and the way that you're going to talk about them when they're not in the room. And it's going to control and shape the way that you talk about them on social media. Let me provide some other labels for you. This is going to get kind of tense. But these are all labels that at some point somebody's chosen to wear. And as soon as you hear it, these preconceived notions come to your mind. How about this label? Liberals. Conservatives. QAnon. BLM. Politicians, LGBTQ, all labels. And as soon as you hear them, certain thoughts come to your mind, certain images come to your mind. And you might say, well, they've chosen that label. So if they've chosen that label, then I, I, get, I get the freedom to respond accordingly, maybe, or maybe not. You see, sometimes we put these labels on ourselves and we think that it gives us a rite of passage to behave a certain way, regardless of what somebody who wears a contradictory label wants to be. Sometimes we think that, well, because I wear this label, I have to do a certain thing. That's what Jacob thought. We come back to the story of Jacob and, and we begin to realize that Jacob, um, well, he, he just kind of felt like, I don't need to change. This is my label. I'm a, I'm a trickster. I'm a con man. I'm a heel grabber. That's who I am. I mean, a leopard can't change their spots, so I'm just going to own it. I'm going to be the label. That's what he did. And before I tell you the next part of the passage, the next part of the passage that we're going to jump to and provide a little bit of context here, because in their day, it was a patriarchal society, meaning, meaning that the father of the home, the father of the family was called the patriarch, and he had the responsibility and the duty to look after the well-being of the people of his family and the well-being of the financial interests of his family. And so when the patriarch was nearing the end of his days, what he would do is he would pass on a birthright to the oldest born son. Now in their day, this was a really big deal because it meant that upon the death of the patriarch of the family, whoever the birthright was passed to, that they would then receive 
the responsibility of being the patriarch of the family. And the birthright came both incredible blessing and incredible responsibility. The responsibility of leading and being responsible for the people and the interests of the family, but with it came the blessing to help them with it, that they got twice the financial inheritance, twice the physical inheritance of all of the rest of the siblings. And oftentimes, most people didn't really want to think about what the responsibility that came with the birthright. They only wanted to think about the financial benefit of what happens with the birthright. That's the human condition. It's been that way forever, that so oftentimes we want the benefit, but not the responsibility. By the way, that's our job as parents to help blend those two with our kids. So what happens is, is Jacob, man, he comes up, he comes up with this plan. Esau was born first. So Jacob comes up with this plan. I got to find a way to get the birthright from my brother Esau. I don't know how to do it. So he, he cooked up a plan that he was going to meet his brother Esau while he was out hunting. Esau was, a, was an outdoorsman. Uh, he, he was a hunter and a gatherer. And he goes, I'm going to meet my brother when he's on his way back from a hunt. And if the hunt was unsuccessful, that joker is going to be hungry because he'd be gone for days. This is what happens in Genesis 25, 33. Um, I'm sorry, verse 29, it says, now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, man, please feed me with some of that, with that same red stew for I'm weary. He comes in and goes, man, brother Jake, dude, you cooking up something good. I want some of that. You don't even know how hungry I am. Next verse, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Literally, he's like, I want the birthright for a pot of beans, man. You talk about supply and demand was steep. Esau responds. He said, look, man, I'm about to die. What is this birthright to me? He goes, I'm so hungry. I'm, I'm going to die if I don't eat. And if I die, then I can't do anything with the birthright. So what good is it to me? Fine, you can have the birthright. Give me the dang stew. Jacob said, swear to me. As of this day, so he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob and Jacob gave Esau bread and it wasn't even a good stew, y'all. It was a stew of lentils. Ooh, that's desperate. And he ate and drank and arose and went his way and thus Esau despised his birthright. Now listen, obviously Esau made a dumb decision here. He made the decision to sell his birthright. He made the decision to, you know, give it up for Jacob so he could have a bowl of stew so that he doesn't die. I mean, we don't know if, you know, I don't know if he was really, you know, about to die. I mean, my kids probably learned it from me. I'm starving to death. I'm hungry. Really? Y'all looking at me right now going, Really? This is really step one of Jacob's plan. Step two is he has to find a way to con his dad because ultimately um, you, don't, you don't just have the birthright. The birthright has to be given to you. And so Jacob, Jacob has step one complete. Esau has been duped. Everybody knows that all you got to do if you're a con man, you just have to earn the trust of your mark and you can get just about anything that you want. And that's what Jacob did with Esau. Now, Jacob's got to find a way to con his father into giving him the birthright instead of his brother. And so you can read all about it in Genesis 27. I don't have time to dive into all of it right now with you. But basically, he comes up with a plan with his mom. And this plan includes uh, food, it includes a costume, and it includes some sleight of hand. And his aging, blind father is conned by his 
second born son into believing that he's Esau and he dupes his father into giving him the birthright. And he gets the birthright. He gets everything that belongs to him and he t- hightails it up out of there. What does this have to do with anything? You see, there's, there's, there's a purpose in it. Jacob's saying, listen, I, I am who I am. So I'm just going to do, that's just what I do, y'all. I con people because I've been labeled. But what happens when we take this and we make it personal? What happens when we take this and we apply this to the labels that we've been given, the labels that we have grown comfortable wearing? Over the last several years, there's been this awakening of self-awareness. I think it's a good thing people to have a bit of an understanding about how God wired them. It's regardless of what their motivation is, scripture tells us that he knit us together in our mother's womb. Everything about our our interests and our personality and our being was handcrafted, intentionally designed by a creator God who loves us and designed us for a purpose. And so I think this is good. Uh, The the, the flavor of the week, uh, the last several years has been the Enneagram. How many Enneagram people do we have? We got some Enneagram people. Does anybody not know what the Enneagram is? God bless you. Uh, Much to the chagrin of many people that I've talked to, I'm not an Enneagram fan. You take the test, it gives you a number. How many of you know your Enneagram number? Some of you. How many of you have a wing? Some of you know your wing. If y'all don't know what this is, not gonna make any sense to you, it's okay. I'm not a huge fan of the Enneagram test because every time I've taken it, I've gotten new information. I got so many letters, so many numbers. I got so many wings. I got a peg leg at one point and it just confused me. So I don't, you know, you do you, I'll do me, but I have found uh, that the Myers-Briggs is a better uh, personality assessment test for me. All right, so I took the personality assessment and it says, this is not gonna mean a lot to you. It says that I'm an ENTJ. It means I'm an extroverted, intuitive thinking and judging person. Not until I began to research it and dive into it, I began to make sense of it. I began to research uh, my personality type. And y'all, I'll tell you what, I started reading stuff that I had never told anybody, but I'm reading on paper. Things that I'm like, I know this is true about me and I don't know if I should be happy about it or not. And I'm not gonna tell anybody about it. And I'm reading it on paper. I came across one of these uh, resources that helps people understand their personality within the Myers-Briggs and they, they, they give these cool little caricatures and these cool little titles to it. And I found um, the one that describes me. I brought a picture of it for you. We can put, throw that picture. That's me. They call him the commander. And that's my little minions following behind me. Now, listen, if you don't have to know me super well to know that I'm a big, loud person. What you might not know about me is I am incredibly opinionated and remarkably stubborn. When I begin to find this and begin to research this, I go, oh my goodness, finally it makes sense. I'm a commander, y'all. When I, when I had, uh, you know, when I was working in the church I was at before, my bosses would talk to me about, you need to be more humble. Uh, you act like you're the smartest person in the room. And I heard that, but then I came across this. I go, obviously, because I'm a commander. I'm an ENTJ. That's who I am. That's what I do. Y'all just need to deal with it. 
But here's what I began to realize that it, that that label, once I found a label, it felt good. It felt comfortable, but it caused me to get too comfortable. And here's what I began to kind of realize. And again, this might sound silly to you, but it was revelational for me several years ago that as I began to understand my personality type and I began to wear it and I began to like, yeah, I'm a commander. You go over there and do that thing. You go over there and do that thing. And let me just tell y'all something. The way that works at home is very different. Jessica would say, listen, I don't need you coming up in here acting like you all that. Barking orders, telling me what to do. I ain't going to work. I'm going to find, I'll go to find, find my kids. I'll tell them what to do then. I began to wear this a bit, but here's the problem. I began to get too comfortable in it, and I began to be like, listen, that's just who I am. You just need to deal with it. And here's what I learned. Um, people don't want a Napoleon-like dictator for a pastor. That sounds silly, but it took me a little bit of time to realize that. Here's the other thing I learned. Um, as a, as a, a boss, as a leader, uh, employees and, and volunteers and followers, they, they don't want to follow an egomaniacal control freak. It took me a little while to figure that out. And here's what I ultimately began to learn. I began to realize I, I walked around for a couple of years going, that's who I am. I'm a commander. I'm a commander. I'm a commander. Do what I say. I'm here. But the problem was, is I began to get too comfortable under that label and that label provided a convenient excuse for me not to change. And what I began to realize is, is that I was being incredibly unloving. And that old adage that people don't care how much they know until they know how much you care played a pivotal role in me. And this is a constant tug of war in me, y'all. So there's times, some of y'all are going, oh my goodness, it makes so much sense. I understand why I hate him now. It's just a constant tug of war. But here's what I began to realize. It might be a label that I begin to get a little bit comfortable in that helps me understand who I am. But that label should not provide a reason for me to be mean, to be hateful, to be belligerent, to be stubborn, to be unloving to the people around me. So even though labels at their best can help us to organize and categorize things, at their worst, they become a convenient excuse to not change. But I want you to see the last thing. I want you to see not just the power of a label or the purpose of a label. I want you to see the potential of a label. Jacob left his family. He went to live with his uncle Laban. That was his mom's brother. And for 20 years, he serves his, his uncle there. He marries two different women, which is another message for another day. Let me just suffice it to say, just because the Bible records it doesn't mean the Bible endorses it. Number two, I love my wife. Y'all, I love my woman. Seriously, I, I'm, I'm madly in love with her. She's my best friend. There's nobody I would rather spend five seconds with than her. I don't want two of them. I'm going to leave it there. I'm worried if I say anymore, I'm going to get myself in trouble trying to say a good thing. Anyway, Jacob leaves his family. He finds his brother after all these years still holds a grudge. And so Jacob realizes, man, I got, it's time for me to leave Laban and, and come back to where my family is. He comes now, he's, got, he's married, he's got all these kids, he's got all these livestock and all this stuff that's going on. He comes back and he finds out on his journey back that his old brother Esau still upset about what had happened. 
And on his way back, Jacob is, is trying to send these peace offerings ahead of time of these, these livestock and say, here, Esau, th- this, is, this is from Jacob. Jacob, he's he coming, but he's not here yet. He just wants to send this ahead. Several times this happens. And finally, they're getting ready to cross over this river. And we pick it up in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. And it says, and he arose, that's Jacob. He arose that night and took to his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and they crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and he sent over what he had. And then Jacob was left alone. So Jacob's by himself now. He's done sending everybody ahead. And then something crazy happens. This is one of the craziest stories in all the Bible. If this is new for you, y'all, this is crazy. It says, and a man, this knows that's capitalized. Theologians and people who study the ancient text tell us that, uh, that this is God. God actually shows up to confront Jacob. Notice what happens. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, I don't know what this looked like. I don't know if, you know, they pulled out WWE with the lights and the stage. And I don't know if God came off the, you know, boom, did one of those things. I talked about wrestling several weeks ago. You know how much I love wrestling. So my mind goes wild when I get to this part of the Bible. It says, and the man wrestled, God wrestled with Jacob until the break of the day. Verse 25, and now when he, that's God, when God saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, again, I just have to stop for a second because this is just funny to me. Because when I was a youth pastor, I would get these, these kids who did football and wrestling and I'm a big dude and they would start to think, I think I can take him. And I, I, I remember when I was a kid in youth group and I, I was like, I think I can take my youth pastor. And so for me, my sport was basketball. So we got on the basketball court and I thought I was going to take my youth pastor and beat him in basketball. I began to learn the ways of the old man tricks that are not in the rule book. He began to foul me in ways that hurt. I'd call foul. He goes, this is street ball, boy, ain't no fouls out here. Now give me the ball, I'm going to take it out. These boys that start wrestling with me, I'm like, well, I'd learn this from my youth pastor. These dudes are wrestling me. I just wrestle them. And I get to the point, I start realizing that I don't know squat about wrestling. And they know enough that, that I'm not winning. So I'm just going to pull out the old man tricks. My favorite was the atomic wedgie. I'm undefeated. I just think that's what God does here. God's like, listen, man, you're just annoying me at this point. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to touch the socket of your hip, Jacob. It's that old man trick. He said, let me go for the day breaks. This was God. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's so interesting. God responds to Jacob's cry. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I mean, God's trying to leave now. And Jacob, like, a, like my sons do when I'm around the house, they got a hold of my ankles. Let me go, son. I ain't going to do it. Jacob says, I'm not going to do it until you bless me. Notice how God responds to that, verse 27. So he said to them, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men 
and have prevailed. You see, there's so much significance here. I don't want you to miss this because God is saying after Jacob has had an encounter with the almighty, all creator, all powerful God who took a moment to come and connect with Jacob, to meet with Jacob, to confront Jacob. And Jacob's saying, listen, I don't want you to go. I know what's happening here. I know who you are. And even though there's part of this moment that hurts a little bit, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. And God says, what is your label, son? He says, my label is trickster. My label, my name is Jacob, and it means trickster. It means heel grabber. It means con man. That's the label I've been living under, and I've been owning it. That's just what I do. That's who I am. That's the the overarching story of my life, that I'm going to live up to the label that I was given at a moment where I could not even control what I was doing. God says, what is your label? And he says, my label is con man. And God says, I'm going to change your label because that old label, you've had an encounter with me now. That old label doesn't fit you anymore. You're no longer a con man. I'm going to call you Israel. And Israel means prince with God. God says, I'm changing your label. But there's something that bothers me about this. As I was studying this, I'm like, okay, this is great. This is significant. This is a name change. Only a few times in all the Bible where God changes somebody's name. But what's the significance of Prince with God? And I wrestled through that and I prayed through that. And I was like, God, I don't understand. I mean, obviously I understand it's a big deal to be a prince. It's certainly a big deal to be your prince. But he ain't a prince right now. He's just a dude. He's a dude with a whole lot of sons and an angry brother that he did dirty a long time ago. And now he's a dude who's going to have a limp for the rest of his life. Why is this significant? And God said, I'll tell you why it's significant. He says, because I don't label on your past or your present. I label on the potential of what I put in you. You see, that's what God does. And as the creator God, he is the label maker and he can, he can do that because that's what he is. That's who he is. That's what he does. And here's the deal. When it comes to labels, they can either empower you or marginalize you. They can be given to, those, uh, to you by those around you or you can even give it to yourself. But what we have to understand is that the only labels that matter are those that are given to us by God. And when God gives us label, he rarely does so based on what is. He does so based on what could be. And I believe that God has sent me here to bring a message to somebody today that's been living under the power of a label that has defined you for far too long. And throughout the course of this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be identifying some of the labels that we have a tendency to live under. And we're going to come face to face through the power of the word of God with the new labels by faith in Christ that God has given us. Things that he says are true about us. And we're going to understand how faith in Christ can lead us to a point of saying that label, it doesn't fit me anymore. And it all starts right here in this verse in Ephesians chapter two, because you will always live, listen to me, you will always, always, always live with the labels that have marginalized, imprisoned, discouraged, or even paralyzed you. Unless, unless you have an encounter 
with the God who loves you so much he sent his son to die on the cross for you. Unless you have an encounter with a God who does what Ephesians 2 says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, I want to make that personal. Even when you carry that label of being unworthy, even when you carry that label of being fat, even when you carry that label of being emotional, complicated, difficult, impossible, worthless, good for nothing, never going to measure up. The most important label that was ever given to you was given to you by God before Christ that he said that you were dead in your trespasses because of your sin. But I want you to notice that God, he changes labels. And he says that even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And notice this, he doesn't just change the label in the moment. He doesn't just change the label to change what you feel, what you see, what you live in, what you endure, what you encounter. The love of God is so significant. It is so great. It is so grand, it is so radical, and it is so powerful that it can change your eternity. You see, that's what he does. He tells us right here in verse 6, and he raised us up together. Now he's not just talking about your life now. He's not talking about your circumstance, your situation now. He's saying, I love you enough. I can change your life. But yep, I can also change what happens in eternity. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. I don't know the labels that you've been carrying. And I don't know who gave you that label. But I know who the label maker is. And I believe that God has brought you here today. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're joining us online, I believe that God has brought you here today so that you can have an encounter with God because there are some labels that you are living in and living under that have had power in your life for far too long. And I'm desperate for you to have an encounter with the living God like Jacob did so that you can have the label changed. So that you can, by faith, say with certainty, with confidence, knowing that old label. Yeah, you see, I met God. I had an encounter with God. I had a moment with God where God wrecked my life and rearranged some things and changed some things and brought some conviction and I brought some repentance and my life has been changed up and rearranged just a little bit. And so here's what you got to understand. That old label, it might have been true at one point, but it doesn't fit me anymore because I've got a new label. Because the only labels that matter are the ones that God gives us. And wherever you are today, wherever you, whatever you're carrying with you today, I want you to hear the power of God's word to know that he can change your life. He can change your circumstance. He can change your eternity. 
but he does it when he changes your label.